The AMA Moving Medicine podcast highlights innovation and emerging issues that impact physicians and patients today. Today in our Look Forward, Look Back series, we're joined by Todd Askew, AMA's Senior Vice President of Advocacy in Washington, D.C., who will discuss AMA's critical work in advocacy this past year and what advocacy issues physicians should watch for in the year ahead. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer in Chicago. Todd, thanks for coming back. The AMA's advocacy team was very, very busy this past year. In the past, uh, past few weeks alone in 2021, your team has helped avert a potential Medicare payment crisis. And together with the American uh, Hospital Association, brought a lawsuit to help protect physician payment and patient access to care on the surprise billing front. Uh, looking back at 2021, what do you think was uh, AMA's single biggest advocacy win? Well, thanks, Todd. And it, it was quite an quite a end to the year, um, but it was busy throughout the year. Uh, there was really no let up uh, from day one. Uh, and it's hard to say whether, you know, what is the one specific uh, uh, biggest uh, advocacy success uh, that the organization and the profession had, uh, given the breadth of things that were going on. Uh, there were a number of things uh, with the new administration, uh, taking things in a different direction uh, in many, many things that we very much supported. And a lot of great opportunities were, were there and we took advantage of them. Uh, the ongoing uh, effort to uh, combat the, uh, the COVID epidemic uh, and the immense uh, amount of work uh, that all physicians put into it uh, the, the vaccination campaign, uh, the new information that we were constantly learning about, about therapeutics and how best to, uh, to, to treat patients, uh, huge advances uh, in, in those areas. And, and you mentioned a couple there right off the top, uh, advocating for physicians, um, uh, making sure that they have a fair shot with payers, uh, for example, during the, as part of the No Surprises Act, uh, but also continuing efforts on prior authorization, uh, small victories, uh, can be big victories. And so small victories are a starting place. Uh, and of course, uh, being able to stave off payment cuts uh, here at the very end of the year, um, uh, it just an, a huge array of things uh, made possible by a great team here at the AMA, uh, but also the deep, deep involvement of physicians uh, across the country, of specialties, of state medical associations. Uh, it was just a tremendous, a tremendous year of important, uh, important items uh, and accomplishments uh, from January straight through December. Well, the two that you mentioned were really uh, uh, powerful moves at the end of the year. And I'm going to ask you to kind of rewind all the way back to January. Uh, believe it or not, our first conversation at the beginning of the year, uh, we had in the background two Senate runoffs in Georgia, you know, which could have largely impacted the direction of the Affordable Care Act. Right. Um, the ACA has had a you know, relatively good year. Can you talk about you know, where things stand and what progress uh, was made to keep people insured in 2021? Sure. Well, absolutely. You know, one of the very first uh, major actions or major pieces of legislation was the American Rescue Plan Act, uh, which opened up access to affordable uh, care act coverage to many millions of more people. Um, uh, both through uh, increased access to subsidies and other improvements to the program uh, on a temporary basis because they could only afford to fund them for a certain period of time. Uh, but the result of that early action uh, was that 
a couple of million people who were otherwise uninsured, especially during this time of great uncertainty, were able to access uh, affordable quality, quality health insurance. And in fact, throughout the year, we've seen that the Affordable Care Act and the various coverage options provided by the ACA are now covering more people uh, than ever, uh, than, than in the history, in the decade plus uh, history of the program. Uh, something like 63% of those who are still uninsured have access to coverage. So even those, we basically cut the uninsured number in half with the ACA, and more than half of those that are still uninsured uh, have access to coverage under the ACA or through their employer uh, that they could that they could take uh, they could take advantage of today. And so we're getting down to you know more difficult populations to reach in terms of coverage. Uh, the largest being uh, those who are uh, undocumented. Uh, and don't have access to affordable care coverage. Uh, the second largest group being those who have access, an offer of affordable coverage uh, from the employer, but have chosen uh, not to take it. And then there's a couple of million Medicaid eligible persons who are in those 12 states that didn't expand Medicaid. So the Affordable Care Act has really uh, made a massive uh, improvement, both in the uh, both this year uh, with the increases, but also uh, over the life of the program, made a meaningful impact on the number of uh, uninsured uninsured in this country. And then, of course, uh, this early this summer, uh, we had the Supreme Court uh, dismiss the uh, most significant and latest challenge uh, to the to the law. And so, hopefully, uh, we can move beyond um, fighting over uh, the law in court and get back to making those final improvements that need to be made to kind of close that last stretch of people who don't otherwise have access to coverage. Absolutely. That is a, a big accomplishment and good to see some of that uncertainty around that uh, go away then. Uh, well, speaking of uncertainty, a lot of us did think that 2021 was going to look a lot different. Uh, we started the year uh, with the rollout of vaccines and our hopes, I think, were to at least see the beginning of the end of the pandemic. It didn't turn out that way. Um, but the AMA's advocacy team continued to, uh, to work there to protect and advance healthcare during the crisis. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the many ways that AMA advocated for physicians uh, in direct response to issues stemming from the pandemic? So a lot of what we were working on is, is, is identifying those specific needs that physicians and physician practices had and trying to facilitate uh, the federal government's attention uh, to those needs. Uh, many are the same that we've dealt with throughout the pandemic. Uh, access to financial resources uh, to deal with the challenges of practicing in a more costly environment and also an environment where many patients are still concerned about coming into uh, the healthcare system for some of their other needs. Uh, continued access to PPE. Uh, I mean, you're familiar with those challenges. And then we add on top of that uh, the opportunity uh, for uh, vaccination, but a lot of confusion. Uh, right off the bat, and, and a lot of trouble. Very hard to ramp up a program and make sure that physicians' offices have access to vaccines for their patients. Uh, we would certainly much prefer uh, people being, be, being vaccinated uh, with their primary care physicians uh, so that that is part of their continuum of care. Uh, not always possible, though, as the program ramped up and there was just an imperative to move the vaccines out as fast as possible. But we've gotten there. And now I think 
to see how widely vaccines are available throughout the country, um, uh, I think is is a testament to uh, the entire healthcare system and really the miracle of how these vaccines were developed. Unfortunately, you know the need to educate the public uh, continues, and and you just have reached this um, number where there are a set number of people who, for whatever reason, and reasons vary, whether it's misinformation or fear or, or another reason, uh, just do not want to be vaccinated. And so we need to continue to work with physicians, with hospitals, with other healthcare providers, uh, with the government, with employers, with unions, with everybody uh, to get those last people vaccinated because vaccination is the way out of this. And the AMA has really worked very hard uh, to support physicians and to support the healthcare system in promoting vaccination as the way we are going to get beyond uh, this this phase of COVID and and into a place where we can uh, more easily deal with uh, deal with this disease um, uh, in in a, in a less you know dramatic way, if you will, than we have to now with these waves and potential for new variants. And so uh, we've continued to. To, to work very closely with the government to facilitate uh, uh, the meet physicians' needs being met, whether it's payment for vaccine administration uh, or other resources. And so uh, ongoing struggle. Um, uh, it's been gratifying very much to see how physicians have stepped up uh, to pursue uh, this effort. And uh, there's still a lot of work to do. Todd, one of the big changes in 2020 was kind of this rapid emergence of telehealth. And as we entered 2021, the challenge was a little bit different, which was really kind of trying to preserve that progress. Why don't you talk a little bit from an advocacy standpoint, uh, how telehealth uh, has progressed this year and what you've been working on? So telehealth, I mean, we say it frequently, and it, 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 but it is one of the few bright spots, you know, of this entire uh, experience that that are that we've lived through over the past, you know, almost two years now. Uh, physicians uh, who may have previously been reluctant to uh, embrace telehealth, certainly payers were very reluctant to uh, support telehealth, uh, including Medicare, which had a very very limited uh, opportunity to participate for, for people to participate in telehealth. Uh, really embraced it as a necessary ingredient. Uh, to triaging patients and also providing ongoing care uh, for people's healthcare needs that could be handled outside of the, you know, coming into the hospital or, or coming into the doctor's office. A lot of the care uh, was able to be provided that way and a lot of unnecessary exposure uh, was, was avoided. The value of telehealth is really, has really been proven. Uh, the data is pouring in and we continue to collect it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, this is, as you, as you referenced, a temporary state, at least for the Medicare program, uh, in that the statutory requirements for coverage are very limited, and this expansion is only uh, applicable during the public health emergency. Medicine doesn't stand still, and neither do we. AMA members don't just keep up with medicine, they shape its future. Help move medicine, join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. We do expect, unfortunately, the public health emergency declaration to continue uh, well into uh, 2022. 
uh, but policymakers, particularly on Capitol Hill, have now completely um, uh, realized the value uh, that telehealth brings to the healthcare system and are searching actively for a way to preserve as much of it as possible. Uh, recent rulemaking has opened some additional avenues for uh, limited coverage, uh, particularly in the uh, uh, behavioral health arena, uh, but a lot more needs to be done and statutory changes are going to have to be, uh, have to be enacted probably not until next year, hopefully next year, uh, in order to preserve this uh, option for beneficiaries beyond, uh, beyond the public health emergency uh, time. So uh, it has proven its value. Now we just have to find the pathway uh, and the resources within Congress uh, to make it a, permanent, a more permanent mm-hmm. part of, of our healthcare system. And Todd, one of the uh, issues I've also had a chance to talk with your team about uh, and something that has, has really uh, been another thing that suffered uh, because of the pandemic is the national overdose epidemic. Um, it continues to be a huge challenge this year. You know, this is something the AMA has been fighting uh, for uh, many years. What do you see in 2021 as the major developments here? Well, I think that the fact that we were making progress and really had a setback in terms of uh, disruption of treatment, uh, lack of opportunity to get people into treatment, uh, taking people taking their eye off the ball um, has, had a, has had a detrimental effect. One significant shift that we have been seeing for years, and now it's extremely pronounced, is a shift away from you know, just the finger pointing at overprescribing uh, and uh, legally prescribed uh, substances as the source of uh, the epidemic, uh, shift now more towards, uh, greatly towards uh, illegal, illicit uh, fentanyl and, and other analogs uh, as the root of most of the over, uh, you know, overdose epidemic, other drugs being laced with these substances. And that is what has driven just the great majority of the, of the increases in overdose deaths. And so we have to shift our mindset a little bit uh, beyond just uh, overprescribing as the root cause here. And we need to look at uh, the, the illicit drug trade, where these drugs are coming from. And most important, how can we, uh, the only way to combat this, one of the most effective ways is treatment easier access to treatment, um, uh, more opportunity for people to get into treatment without uh, jumping through so many hoops, more opportunity for more people to provide treatment, and also data. Uh, We need more information uh, to better diagnose uh, the problem uh, and and identify solutions. And so, you know, it feels like uh, you're at, we're back at step one. Uh, We're not, you look behind us and so much has been accomplished. Uh, but the challenge is still is still immense, and and it's going to continue to be a significant uh, part of our efforts uh, for uh, for the next year for this for this year, uh, but probably for some time to come. Mm-hmm. So, speaking of looking ahead to 2022. What, what do you see as the greatest opportunities for the AMA to make a difference with its advocacy efforts? 
Well, you've referenced telehealth, which I think I think we have a tremendous opportunity to to promote and improve access to telehealth uh, and and for for uh, all patients. And so I think that's a tremendous opportunity. Um, I look at Medicare payment um, every year. Uh, it's the same battle. It's it's scrambling to stave off uh, cuts. These these cuts were particularly severe, uh, but every year it's 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 uh, fighting to stop. Uh, a 2% cut, a 3% cut, and it always has to get done at the end of the year. There's no stability. There's no predictability. Um, the program, increasingly, the way the payment structure is designed under MIPS, the four separate programs, which aren't really aligned, uh, doesn't make any sense. Uh, the opportunities uh, for engaging in alternative payment models, uh, you know, to some extent they're there, uh, but the really the promise uh, the opportunity that was presented with this new payment model has never has never been realized. Uh, the promise of macro, I mean, has never really come to fruition in terms of making those models available. So we need to step back. And I think a lot of policymakers who went through this experience with us at the end of 2021 uh, are firmly aware of that and understand the need uh, to fundamentally relook at this. We have a number of problems uh, that are built into the system that we need to address. One uh, is budget neutrality. Uh, the way it's set up is, sure, we can provide increases for a particular service or set of services or type of provider, uh, but those increases don't come with new money. Uh, budget neutrality dictates that payments for all the other services have to be reduced. Uh, so we're dealing with this fixed pie uh, that over the last 20, 25 years, inflation has greatly eroded uh, the, the value of of those services, and, and they're becoming increasingly difficult to provide uh, at the funding levels that are available. Uh, so that's one challenge that has to become overcome. Uh, another is the fact that in statute, there are no updates. Most other providers under Medicare have built-in updates that have some relationship uh, to the increase in costs providing the services. A, a medical economic uh, index or inflationary uh, growth uh, that is not present in the physician system, which is a legacy of, you know, multiple experiments of different systems and and uh, uh, action taken to avert a massive cut, you know, a, a decade ago. So, so we have to uh, pull together uh, as a profession and come to some agreement uh, and some ideas on how we can address these issues, how we can rebuild the payment system in a way that provides sustainable. Uh, uh, predictable and, and, and payment rates uh, that, that reflect the increasing cost of providing care, while at the same time uh, incentivizing quality and, and making sure that um, physicians have the opportunity to engage in, in innovative payment models or ways of delivering care that are focused on their patients and not focused on a checklist of things that you have to do or or some sort of metric that the whole purpose is to meet that metric. So I think it's going to be a, a huge challenge, but it's a huge opportunity. I think the time has come. I think we have been speaking with leaders across the Federation of Medicine, and I think there's enthusiasm and a, and a strong agreement uh, that we need to sit down together and come up with a, a, new, a new way of doing this. Uh, and so I think that's the greatest opportunity that we have in 2020, in 2022. It's not, it's not going to be a slam dunk and it's not going to be done in one year. Uh, but if we're going to start on this journey 
uh, we've got to sit down and, and get going. And, and this is the time to do it. Absolutely. Uh, this last question, I don't think there's ever been a time when it mattered more to hear from physicians. We've got a lot of sources of, of misinformation uh, out there. It's time you know, that we try to make physicians the loudest voices in the room. Uh, the advocacy team has worked really hard on amplifying those physician voices. How does a physician you know, get more involved in advocacy in 2022 on all these important fronts that you've just outlined? Sure. Well, I think the end of this past year uh, in the effort to uh, get Congress's attention uh, and to stop, you know, a nearly 10 percent Medicare cut is a tremendous example of the power of physician voices uh, that came together quickly. I mean, we've been working it, laying the groundwork uh, for a very long time, but even just a few weeks before uh, that effort came to fruition, there was little many policymakers felt like, well, we may be able to help a little, but we're not going to be able to eliminate the entire cut. And the physician grassroots, uh, both uh, the AMA's uh, Physicians Grassroots Network, uh, as well as work across the Federation of Medicine, work with the state medical associations, uh, just came alive. And they lit up the phones and they lit up social media and they lit up the email boxes and got their attention. And the voices of physicians all they have done, all they have been through, uh, I think have grown even more respected and more admired uh, by policymakers over the, over the last couple of years. And so, you know, through the AMA Physicians Grassroots Network, where people should please go to, I believe it's physiciansgrassrootsnetwork.org. Um, and I think you can probably put that up. Uh, sign up. We won't flood your email uh, with information. Uh, but for us to be able to call on you and for you to hear from us when it is most important uh, that you reach out, uh, it, it's, it's just such a tremendous asset that we have and that why it's such a you know, privilege to represent a group of individuals who is so well-respected and so uh, uh, knowledgeable about the challenges facing their own profession. And then also the AMA's advocacy update. Um, you can subscribe to that. Uh, on the AMA's website, uh, twice a month, we provide information to keep you up to date with current and upcoming uh, challenges in the public policy arena. Uh, so you can weigh in, uh, but also just so that you'll be knowledgeable and, and ready to weigh in uh, when the opportunity arises. So those are two great ways that people can get, uh, people can get involved. I would also uh, you know, be remiss if I didn't encourage people to become active politically uh, through AMPAC. Uh, in the political process um, also helps uh, your voice and our voice uh, be heard, be heard as well. So lots of opportunities to speak up uh, and, and they are hungry to hear from you. The power of those physician voices really matters. And uh, with the AMA to act as a unified voice for medicine and for patients uh, again, I encourage you to check out physiciansgrassrootsnetwork.org and also sign up for the AMA Advocacy Update at ama-assn.org slash advocacy-news. That wraps up our Look Forward, Look Back episode on AMA Advocacy. There's a lot to cover. Thank you, Todd, to you and your team for the work that you've done uh, throughout this year and with our federation. Uh, 
We'll be back soon with another movie medicine video and podcast. Be sure to click, click subscribe on the AMA's YouTube channel, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast or find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us. Please take care. This has been Moving Medicine, a podcast by the American Medical Association. Subscribe to other great AMA podcasts available wherever you listen to yours or visit ama-assn.org slash podcasts. I'm Todd Unger, and this is Moving Medicine.